Um, it's one of the many songs that was inspired by the book Song of Songs, which we are looking at. Uh, we looked at it last week. We're looking at it again today um, to complete our series. Now, the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon, it's um, known as, and also in Latin, it's called Canticles, and so it's known by all three names. The Song of Songs is a book that is not often spoken about. In fact, um, even though today we have many songs that are inspired by this book, for 1,800 years, you were not allowed to read this book unless you were over 30 years old. So some of you in this room would not be allowed to read this book. Um, in fact, it was written about 900 BC, but for a, a long time, um, there was a lot of debate even amongst the Jewish scholars about whether this book should be allowed in the sacred canon. Because if you've ever read this book before, or if you were here last week and you heard Roy read passages, then you know that this book is about um, the intimate relationship between a man and a woman. And so there's lots of um, very vivid imagery about um, lots of body parts and about two people being together. Um, and I can see some of you smiling already. And so you can see why a lot of people were very uncomfortable with this book. And so for a long time, um, this book was, you know, questionable and controversial. But to some people, it was very special. In fact, to uh, a man named Rabbi Akiba, who lived around 90 AD, so shortly after the time of Jesus, said, For in all the world there is nothing equal to the day Song of Songs was given to Israel. All the writings are holy, but the Song of Songs is the holiest of holies, he said. That's interesting. Why would he say that? And even though Rabbi Akiba had such high regard for this book, like I said, um, until the 16th century... It was almost a banned book. It was in the Bible, but back then they didn't have copies of the Bible readily available to people anyway. So the only people who really read them were the monks and the priests who had access to them. Ironically, this book, the Song of Songs, um, was the one book that had the most commentaries written by the monks in the monasteries um, during the entire Middle Ages. I wonder why. Um, in fact, there was one particular um, uh, priest who wrote a 10-volume commentary on this little book of eight chapters. Um, in fact, he actually wrote most of them about the first chapter. So um, some people you know, really, really love this book. And it wasn't really until the Protestant Reformation that most people who read this book looked at it with an allegorical view. What I mean by that is they, um, this idea of philosophy had crept in, this Plato dualism had crept into the, into the Jewish and Christian mind where they believed that the body and the soul are separate. And so they wanted to kind of spiritualize everything. They didn't like to think about the actual marriage of Solomon and his wife. And so they made everything an allegory. Everything was symbolic. And so, for example, they were saying things like the Shulamite uh, Solomon's bride, when it, and when when Solomon talks about her navel, her belly button, um, and how beautiful it is, they said that is the cup of Jesus. And when he talks about her two breasts, they said that's the Old Testament and the New Testament. <laughs> Come on now, <laughs> I think that was stretching it just a little bit. But that's how desperate they were to spiritualize and allegorize everything because they were so uncomfortable with reading it as it was a love story um, and a love song between Solomon and his wife. Now, 
thanks to the Protestant Reformation, uh, with, with this return to the Bible, with the return to the translation of the Bible to its original language, and more people reading it, more people began to appreciate the Song of Solomon for what it was, a literal love story celebrating uh, human sexuality as given by God, celebrating marriage as given by God. But it's not exactly an allegory, and it's not just a literal story either. Um, I want to propose today that in addition to the Song of Solomon being the actual love song of Solomon, that it's actually a typology. Now, a typology is different from an allegory because an allegory tries to kind of make everything symbolic. Typology simply says, hey, here is the broad brushstroke of what this represents. Um, and so I believe that the Song of Solomon is a typology of the kind of love that God desires us to have each with one another in marriage, as well as the kind of love that God desires to have with us. And so it's a type of the kind of beautiful, intimate love that God truly um, sparks, inspires, and desires for all of us. Now, there are a few books in the Bible that don't mention the Word of God directly. Anyone guess what those books might be? Yes, the book of Esther does not have a single mention of the word God or the name of God at all. It doesn't even mention prayer, actually. There's an implication that they prayed because they fasted, and there's um, a clear indication that God worked in history, but his name is actually not mentioned. Um, and actually, the, the name Esther means hidden, and so it's almost as if God is hidden in that story to show what life looks like when he doesn't... Um, when, when you don't kind of invoke the name of God, but he's there guiding you all along. But the Song of Solomon is another one of those books that seems not to have the word of God, the name of God mentioned at all. It seems like just a love story. But if you look a little bit deeper, there are a few hints. And so I'd like to go over just a few of those hints with you. If you go to Song of Songs, chapter 5, there's actually several characters in this love song. Um, you've got, you know, and if you imagine this as a song, you've got the man coming in and singing at one point, then you've got the woman coming in and singing at one point, then you, they have a duet together, and then at some point there's a chorus of friends that are singing. But then in chapter 5, verse 1, there's a, another voice, an on, anonymous voice. And um, I'll read it for you in, in, in its context. So this is the beloved. This is Solomon saying, I have come. And chapter 5 is kind of the culmination. So the entire book of Song of Songs is structured in such a way that it's called a chiasm. In other words, you've got kind of um, two ends paralleling each other and then two parts next to that kind of matching. And ultimately, the middle is kind of the climax. And so the climax of the book of Song of Solomon is the marriage, is chapter 5. So in verse 1, Solomon says, I've come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I've drunk my wine with my milk. And then there's this voice that comes that says, Eat, O friends. Drink, yes, drink deeply, O beloved ones. And another text will say, Eat, drink, and be happy, my loves. And so this isn't actually the bride or the bridegroom there is this kind of third voice that comes and kind of blesses this whole union. And so scholars believe that this is actually God's voice coming out and saying, I'm so glad that you are able to enjoy this love together. Um, I want you to be happy. I want you to rejoice. This love union is a gift from me. 
And then if you go to chapter 8, which is the very last chapter of the book, and you go to verse 6, and now this is the bride, the Shulamite speaking. And she says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a flame of Yah. Now, some of you, your version might say, a most vehement flame. But if you look carefully, there, there should be a little footnote in your Bible. And that foot will, footnote will tell you that it literally says, a flame of Yah. And that if you have a good Bible, it will tell you in parentheses, Yah is a poetic form of Yahweh, which is one of the names of God. And so, literally, that verse is saying that the the love, the sealing, this um, intense, vehement passion between Shulamite and Solomon um, is actually a spark from the flame of Yahweh. That every love relationship here on earth is actually a spark from the love of God. That God is the one who divinely inspires us to love one another. And this love is not the kind of love that Roy um, talked about last week, where he said, you know, in society today, we have lots of false love. We have lust, we have infatuation, we have broken love, right? There's, there's all kinds of um, really terrible views of sexuality, um, and, and everything that has been good and beautiful that originally God instituted has been corrupted and made to look ugly or or. Um, difficult or vile. But actually, God is saying that sexuality and love and passion is from God. It's permanent, it's intimate, it's unquenchable, and that it's ultimately a gift from God. And that He is the source of all love. Song of Solomon also has um, motifs that lead back to the Garden of Eden. And so if you read the book of Song of Songs, you have lots of imagery about garden, you've got trees and fruits, um, good fruits, you've got um, animals running around, jumping around. Um, I think Roy read last time about gazelles on the hills and, you know, all that. So all that imagery, and of course you've got the man and the woman um, being naked and not being ashamed and becoming one flesh together. And so all this echoes back to Genesis. And when God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden and said, I want you to be together, multiply, be one flesh, and love one another. And, and so this really echoes to that first original idea that God gave love. And God gave man and woman that capacity to love. And again, that flame of Yahweh that stands at the garden and that um, ultimately guards us from experiencing the wrong kind of love and also inspires us to want the kind of love that is from God himself. Like I said, this love story is a typology. And so ultimately when God talks about this divine love, you know, you've heard that saying that when you love somebody, it's like, it's like, heaven on earth, right? And, and that's kind of where that idea comes from, that when we experience love with each other, that is the divine love of God that we get to experience just a little bit. And so in this typology, this love, this intimate relationship between a man and a woman, this intense passion and uh, transparency and vulnerability is supposed to be the type of the kind of love that we have between God and us. But do we have that kind of love? You know, when um, I was getting to know Roy, we had actually 
known each other for two years. So we had been working together. Um, and I thought I knew him pretty well. Uh, my view of Roy was that he was a very serious man, that um, he, you know, never broke the rules, that he was extremely, you know, conscientious and spiritual, and I thought he was very kind of strict and, um, you know, kind of a no jokes and very matter of fact. And, um, you know, I would always see him with his backpack, like going to class, going to libraries. I thought he was very studious. And so that was my view of him. And we worked together. And so he was very, you know, faithful at his task. He was very goal oriented, um, you know, made sure that we had all the meeting things ticked off. So I was like, yeah, I know him pretty well. I wasn't interested in him. And then, um, <laughs> and then, and, and those of you who know him giggled because that's actually not who Roy is at all. And um, it wasn't until he called me uh, one day. And, you know, we, known each, we, we knew each other pretty well, I thought, since we worked together. But he had never actually called. We had never talked privately. We had, we had always, you know, talked in a group setting. I'd said hello at church, etc. But one day he called me and um, picked up the phone. I thought maybe he wanted to talk about work. And sure enough, he asked me, how, how were your visitations today? I would go visit the girls in the dorm, and he would go visit the guys. And um, I told him, yeah, it went well. I told him about how the girls are doing. We talked for a little bit, and then we hung up. And I was like, well, that's weird, but okay. <laughs> the next day, he called me again. Hey, how, how, how are your visitations today? And I thought, wow, he really cares about these girls. He really wants to know how they're doing. Um, so we talked about that for a little bit. And then, and then some, we talked about something else. And then he said something, and I laughed. And I was like, oh, he's kind of funny. That's weird. Um, and then the next day, he called me again. And we talked a little bit longer. And the next day, he called me again. We talked for an hour. Next day, he called me again. We talked for an hour and a half. Um, and by the end of the week, I was beginning to wonder... What's going on here? Um, and I thought something very natural was developing. Where I, I thought, like, you know, we just happened to talk about visitations, but hey, maybe there's something more. And um, I thought to myself, wow, I really didn't know him that well. He's actually really funny. He's, he's actually very silly. Um, he breaks a lot of rules, and um, he just he was just very different from who I thought he was. Um, but it wasn't until I took that time to have those private conversations with him for me to realize who he really was. And I think a lot of times when we have our relationship with God, we go to church and we talk about him and we hear about him and we may even um, read about him. But who we think God is may actually be quite different to who he really is if we spent that quality, intimate, alone time with him. The kind of time that isn't hurried, the kind of time where you don't realize how much time is passing, the kind of time where you actually want it to linger and last rather than hurrying through it for the sake of getting through it. And I wonder then if our understanding of God would change and if we would then fall in love because it takes time to fall in love. It may not take time to fall into infatuation or to fall into lust or anything else, but to fall in love with someone, it takes time, doesn't it? And it takes that quality alone time where you are really getting to know the person's thoughts. I remember those phone conversations, you know, we start out with visitations, but then um, somehow we would talk about, you know, how we grew up 
Roy told me about how he lost his mom when he was 16. He told me about what it was like to grow up with his brother and older dad and how he had never, no one had ever celebrated his birthday. Like, because his brother and his dad both forgot it like every year. And they all forgot each other's. They still do. I have to remind them all. And so, um, you know, things like that. Or he would tell me about, um, you know, what, we, what his life was like before he came to Michigan. He would tell me about this place called Australia and Melbourne and and. I didn't know what he was talking about, thinking I'm never going to go there, you know. Um, and, you know, I found myself telling him about my life, how I grew up with my sister and my parents and very female-dominant home and how we go all out for our birthdays and um, completely different families. And we started ta- telling each other about the things we're afraid of, the things we're excited about. And, and that's really when you fall in love. And that's when I got to know Roy for who he really was. And I want to propose to you that God wants to know us and he wants he wants us to get to know him in that intimate level where it will be a joy to be with him where it won't be a chore where it won't be something that we feel guilty about if we didn't do that day but instead it'll be that place where we run to over the mountains right into the valleys where we can find our shelter and i want to suggest that even in our time with him it's possible to just skirt on by. One of my favorite quotes, um, I'm just going to skip this verse for now. One of my favorite quotes is from this book called Education, and I'm going to read a longer passage than what's on the screen. It says, Many, even in their seasons of devotion, fail of receiving the blessing of real communion with God. They are in too great haste. With hurried steps, they press through the circle of Christ's loving presence pausing perhaps a moment within the sacred precincts, but not waiting for counsel. They have no time to remain with the divine teacher. With their burdens, they return to their work. These workers can never attain the highest success until they learn the secret of strength. They must give themselves time to think, to pray, to wait upon God for renewal of physical, mental, and spiritual power. They need the uplifting influence of his spirit. Receiving this, they will be quickened by fresh life. The weird frame and tired brain will be refreshed. The burdened heart will be lightened. Not a pause for a moment in his presence, but personal contact with Christ. To sit down in companionship with him. This is our need. Happy will it be for the children of our homes and the students of our schools when parents and teachers shall learn in their own lives the precious experience pictured in these words from the Song of Songs. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me into the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. In the original Hebrew, when it says, I sat down under his shadow, it's not just sitting down once. The word implies, I continually sat down. I lingered. I remained. I rested. I enjoyed. It's the idea of, you know, imagine a beautiful sunny day in Melbourne. I know it's hard to imagine. But imagine a beautiful sunny day in Melbourne, and you've got this beautiful scenery and a huge, beautiful apple blossom, and you've got this nice, soft, plush picnic blanket, and you just lie down with the juicy apple in your hand, and you just enjoy being there. That's the kind of love relationship God wants. That's the kind of lingering God wants when we spend time with him. Not just a quick hello, not just a thank you for this day, help me with this, but just to sit and be still and to know that he is God. I want to illustrate something that often happens when we, especially I, um, try to have this alone time with God. Oftentimes we want 
to have that lingering stillness and, and that time of refreshment with God. But here's what often happens. Oops. I'm going to play a song. So the Song of Songs is actually, um, it says the Song of Songs. So this is actually the best song of the many love songs of Solomon. And the truth is that God has lots of love messages for us. Um, and I'm going to pretend that this uh, song by Yo-Yo Ma, which is a Bach um, suite for Alamant, is, is a love song from God to us. And so I'm just going to play it. And oftentimes, you know, we'll begin with good intentions of listening to this love song from God. But before we know it, our mind wanders off. And we're thinking about our work and our career, and we just think to ourselves, I can't wait to get to the next step, right? I just can't wait to be king. And then that runs through our mind. And then as we're thinking about our work and our career ambitions, we think about our relationship status and about how we wish we had that somebody to love. And then sometimes our mind just wanders off to random thoughts of where's my hairbrush, right? Just whatever little things and distractions that our mind takes hold of. And you can't even hear God's love song to you anymore. Your prayer time and your devotion time, it's not refreshing. It doesn't bring you comfort. So I want to suggest to you, turn off the phone, find a quiet place, seek a quiet time where you won't be interrupted. Tell God what's on your mind so that you can begin to Express what's on your mind and then let it go so that eventually you can enjoy the stillness and linger in the silence and enjoy his presence. And it's only when you turn off those thoughts and if you need to, complain to God about your singleness. Complain to God about your job and, and where it is. Complain to God about how ill you feel. Get it out of your system. Tell God how you feel and then Stop, and then just breathe, and then just listen to the love song that God has for you. And so for the next two minutes remaining to this song, I want to just close your eyes and just be still and listen to the love song that God has for you.
I pray that as you learn to listen to the Song of Songs, that as you reflect on what it means for Christ to have loved the church so much that he gave his life for her, as a husband loves his wife and gives his body for her, I pray that the Song of Songs would play in our hearts and that we would learn to tune out the other voices and that we would learn to really focus on him and learn in that stillness that he is God and that he loves us and that he wants to know us intimately. Um, and as we learn that song, I pray that we would then be able to share that love song with others.